Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Anything that moves, I don't get hold of him. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right out of the week, and we've got another big road win to break down as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 372. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films so that we can break down everything we saw from the Eagles' win over the Denver Broncos. I thought there were a handful of really important takeaways in this game, especially on offense. We'll get to it right at the top of the show. Before we get there, a couple of things I want to make sure we hit on. Number one, one, make sure you head on over to our Apple podcast page, leave us a rating, leave us a review. And if you've got a question about this Eagles team, what you've seen so far over the last few weeks or so far through this season, now's the time. Jump on, leave your question in the comment box. We will answer it here in an upcoming episode. Also, make sure you go check out some of our other football All-22 analysis content, whether it's the All-22 review, where all the plays that Greg and I are getting ready to talk about here on the show, I'm going to show you those plays. So a little bit of a visual aid to go along with the podcast. Also, make sure you check out my post-snap read article, which should be up by the time you're listening to this over on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and all Eagles digital channels. While you're checking out our podcast, make sure you make uh, you are subscribed to our Journeys to the Draft podcast. Myself, Ben Fennel, Dane Brugler, Ross Tucker, Eric Galco, a whole rotation of guests every single week. We are breaking down everything we are seeing in college football. So if you want to know who the top prospects are going to be when the, the calendar turns and we're at 2022, now's the time. Make sure you head on over and subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. That said, let's get this show rolling. Excited to get into my chat now with Greg Cosell in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, well, excited to get into this breakdown here with Chalk Talk with Greg Cosell. Greg, uh, week 11 of the NFL season and a great uh, game for us to break down here. Eagles-Broncos, an outstanding win for the Eagles on the road. A a lot to take away from this one. Yeah, really impressive win. Uh, I have some definite thoughts based on tape study, things that hit me as I was watching. We'll get into that in a sec, but I mean, you know, it's, it's really interesting given the way a lot of fans in the city have felt about the Eagles and Hey, when a team's not winning, you know, fans have their opinions, but this game had the look of a good team. You know what I mean? It, it, sure. and I think almost for two weeks in a row now, it's had the look of a good team, even though they lost to the chargers, um, an improving team, a competitive team, a team that can line up on any Sunday and, and play well. And depending on many factors could win the game. Yeah. Uh, well, let's start on the offensive side of the football and talk through um, clearly look, this offense uh, is funneling through the run game to a certain extent when you look at the way that they are playing. But that said, like when you look at Jalen Hurts' performance in this one, uh, particularly in the first half, obviously just three pass attempts in the second half total. Uh, but when you look at his game, I would say that that was the best Jalen Hurts has looked uh, since he's arrived here in Philadelphia. Well, as I'm watching the game, I'm sitting there saying to myself, because until the final garbage time drive of the game, he he took two snaps under center, Fran. So this was a Hertz game. Put him in the gun, work the run game off him with both zone read and designed run elements, and throw just enough on first down to be proactive and aggressive. 
But this game was about Jalen Hurts. The run game obviously did extremely well, but Howard had 12 rushes. 11 came out of the gun. Scott, I think, whatever his numbers were, but he had three runs on the final garbage time drive that came under center. So pretty much all of his runs came in the gun. We spent so much time talking about putting Jalen Hurts under center, and I've done that. I know, you know, you and I have discussed that, and they did a good amount of that in each of the previous two weeks against the Lions and Chargers. But that's why I said I'm watching this game, and I'm saying this is this is a Jalen Hurts game. I feel like I'm watching the Ravens with Lamar Jackson with a similar approach. Uh, so that really struck me as interesting. I don't know, and I guess obviously you don't either. None of us do. If this style will be the template going forward, or if this was viewed as specific to the opponent, the Broncos. Yeah, to me, what what stood out most watching it on TV on Sunday and then going back and watching the tape Monday morning is I thought that Jalen Hurts looked really decisive. I thought he looked calm and collected. He looked confident. Uh, And I think that that was something that showed up early in this game. How often, how many times have we talked, you know, where Jalen Hurts drops back and his eyes drop immediately. And if that first read's not there, he's immediately trying to escape, 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 escape. That only happened once or twice in this game, the cover zero pressures, you know, where, Hey, he's got a free runner and he's got to make that guy miss. That's fine. Like that's where you like to see that athleticism come to the forefront. You'd like to see him be able to create and make that first man miss. And now he's going to take off to me. We saw far fewer of the, the plays where he's just kind of running around in the pocket with his eyes down. Instead, we see the 24 yard completion to Dallas Goddard, where he sidesteps with his eyes downfield, uh, finds clean space in the pocket yeah. and is able to, you know, hit Dallas Goddard for the first down on third and long. We see uh man coverage decisive with, with the football, just making good decisions. Uh, just a really impressive performance from Jalen in this, in this matchup. Yeah. And I think that 24 yarder to Goddard, which came on third and 12 on the second possession was a good example because he had a move to the side he normally doesn't move to, which is left. Yep, okay? Right. And he slid left. The most important part of that, he kept his eyes downfield. Okay. And he he's not always been good at that this season. In fact, if we're being fair, we'd say that very often he's yep. not been good at that. Right. So this one, he kept his eyes downfield. That was the kind of pocket movement you want to see. Navigate the pocket, have a feel for the pocket, slide to an area that's quieter where you then can make a throw comfortably. And obviously it was um, cover one behind a five-man pressure. They actually had a nice little inside stunt with the linebacker Browning. And that's what forced him to move. And Goddard just ran away from Stearns on the crosser. That was a really good good play that shows, you know, the hope for development as he goes forward. You know, the, obviously the Smith touchdown was a great, great throw, but that was a design play. That wasn't a read per se. That was the design of the play, but it was an unbelievable throw and a great catch because Patrick Sertan could not really have covered that any better. It was about as tight as coverage as it could be. No, no doubt. Oh no. I mean, it was, it was two Alabama guys who probably know each other really well. They're probably friends. Um, Sertan was right there. I mean, that's why it was a design play. He was throwing it to Smith out of the huddle. Um, and it was just great execution by Hertz and Smith. And, and you could argue great execution by Patrick Sertan. Uh, I'm sure that the, uh, the one-on-one sessions on a weekly basis in practice were probably pretty good between those two, uh, yeah, for, I would for a handful so. of years. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's funny because obviously Jalen's numbers were really good in this game. And it was, so that means when you break it down situationally, 
all the numbers are going to look pretty good because he's good yeah. overall uh, in this game. But when you look at him against the blitz, I mean, nine for 11, 92 yards and a touchdown cover, you know, going up, you, you talked about how that play was against cover one, seven for nine, 108 yards and a touchdown. And I thought that three of his best plays in this game were against cover one, where it was either where it was that five man pressure. So you have the blitz helmet, you've got tight man coverage right. on the outside and you saw the 31 yard scramble. So, okay. You know, Hey, man coverage, athletic quarterback, you're expect you're expecting to see some plays like that. Right. And so Jalen goes out, he makes that play. He makes the 24 yard at a Goddard. He hits uh, uh, Devonte Smith on that 36 yard touchdown. That's showing decisiveness, the willingness to let your guys go make a play, understanding where your matchups are. Like a lot of the things you're looking for with a, with a quarterback to be able to beat man coverage. We saw that. And then even taking it a step further, what he did against cover zero, you know, first third down red zone snap opening drive, they get down to the red zone. It's like third and eight, right? And they, and they go cover zero. Uh, he's got that free rusher coming at him from his right. He rolls to his right, keeps his eyes downfield, bides time, and ends up being an incomplete pass. But what happens later? He files that away, and the Eagles offense comes back. The next time they face third down in the red zone, it's third and long. You they talk, expect cover zero. About. They get it. And now you get the Devontae Smith touchdown. Great cover zero beater. Uh, no, right. no safety help in the middle of the field, obviously. So you're understanding, hey, Devontae's going to win one-on-one uh, on that slant route. I, I just thought that the Eagles just uh, – they had a plan in this game, and Jalen went out and executed very well. How about the uh, great ball he threw to Watkins on third and ten I mean, late big in the time. first half? Yep, which big time. should have been a touchdown. That You could argue that was his best throw of the game. I would, I would probably make that argument. In terms of being a pure throw, no doubt about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, it's funny. You mentioned the blitz. Hertz continues to be, and it's probably not just him, but let's just talk about it this way. Hertz continues to be one of the most blitz quarterbacks in the NFL. Yep. But keep one thing in mind. He's not turned it over versus blitz, only one interception. And he's only been sacked five times and he's been blitzed over a hundred times. So while everyone would agree that he has things to work on and hopefully he keeps getting better and better. The fact is he doesn't turn the ball over versus pressure. And that's, you know, you can live with a lot of other things as a quarterback grows and develops as long as he's not turning the ball over. No doubt. Uh, and, you know, if you can be a caretaker for the offense, create some big plays, uh, both inside and outside of structure, uh, that goes a long way uh, towards being able to be a successful quarterback and, and allow teams to have that faith in you to develop and be that guy. And we, we've seen that all across the league. There are plenty of examples uh, of those guys. And it just, you know, a really, really strong performance there from Jalen Hurts. And, and honestly, I would even look at, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about the the play design and the the play sequencing, the play calling uh, with what we've seen here from Nick Sirianni and this Eagles offensive coaching staff. You know, it's funny, like as the, the offense, we've seen more efficiency. They've been on the field longer. They're running more plays. Well, now we're seeing that that play calling kind of develop a little bit more layers to the onion have, have kind of been peeled. I, I thought the the screen pass to to Boston Scott on the opening series, eighteen yards, was such a great play off of something that they've done really since week one, where you'll see them either go spread, uh, you know, go go empty or go two by two, and they're going to motion that outside receiver in on a short motion, run the little shallow cross, and have them run away from man coverage and, and hit that receiver. They run they've run that. A dozen, a dozen times at least here uh, this season. They come out and show that look with Quez Watkins come short motion, running the shallow cross, but instead of throwing it to the shallow, now they're going screen backdoor to, to Boston Scott for 18 yards. And it's just things like that as we continue to kind of peel the layers back uh, as this offensive coaching staff has had more cracks at the apple, we're seeing the, the play calling and the sequencing continue to Oh, work. I agree. I thought this game was, a, was really well-designed, well-schemed, well-put-together. Um, as you said, they had a clear plan because this plan 
was different from the previous two weeks. So that's why I said, I don't know if this is something now that will be a template and a profile moving forward, or if they felt this was the play, the way to play the Denver Broncos. Because as I said, this was a Hertz game. I mean, even the, the run game with, with Scott and Howard, so much of that worked off Hertz. There was a run, I can't remember when it was um, by Howard, but there was a run that clearly was a function of, um, of the fact that, uh, oh, it was the 25-yard run on split flow inside zone yep. on the first fourth quarter possession. Great play. The, the Hertz factor was critical there because that expanded fuller and presented the cutback lane. And, you know, that that's all part of the Hertz factor in, in how they structured their offense in this game. Yeah, I to me, like, I think, you know, we've talked for a long time since Jeff Stoutland has been here, how diverse the Eagles rushing attack has been and all the different run elements that they bring in. I think that this game against the Denver Broncos, we saw uh, more QB run elements from this Eagles offense this year than we've seen yet. I, I think without, I mean, uh, and not even just all the, the basic zone read. I mean, we saw that on the very first play of the game. Jalen Hurts takes it out the back door and goes 10 yards for a first down. But we saw Jalen Hurts reading three techs. We saw him reading linebackers, which that's, uh, yeah, like that, that. those are things that teams around the NFL, that's not like, you know, uh, cutting edge uh, in terms of watching football right now. But we haven't seen that from the Eagles up to this point. And so seeing that in this game, I think, again, you're just kind of adding uh, more elements to this offense. No, I agree. This was a really, really interesting offensive performance, really intriguing. And I'm so curious to see what happens next against New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of different pullers on the, along the offensive line, different counters, different, different gap schemes, zone schemes, uh, really impressive run scheme uh, overall. Um, real quick, just getting to the pass catchers. Uh, Devonte Smith, obviously a, a big day uh, continues to to look, he's growing into that player that we saw uh, at Alabama, obviously a couple of big catches here in this one. Yeah. I mean, they didn't throw it a lot, so uh, it wasn't as if uh, there were a lot of targets to go around. Obviously he made the great catch. Um, you know, he's a very fluid route runner, even even the zero touchdown. You know, he just is fluid. He he plays fast. You know, we we you and I both know he's not a four, three, five guy. Sure. He's a strider and he plays fast. And um uh we'll get to when we talk about the Saints. I'm really curious this week, but uh but no, it there's just not a they don't they haven't really thrown it a lot the last three weeks. So it's not as if you're going to see a lot of targets. Yeah. Let's get over to the defensive side before we preview this game against the Saints, because uh I am very interested because there were two I had two kind of bigger, biggish takeaways here uh from this game. I'm interested. What's your biggest one after watching the Eagles defense against the Broncos? You mean what what's a, like a specific takeaway? Yeah, like is there something coming away from watching that is there something about the game that that stood out about the performance that stood out to you? What was like the biggest thing that that flashed to you on film? Ooh, that I mean they played they played almost the entire game at a nickel was, was something that was pretty evident. Um you know, I thought their their D-line did a really good job of squeezing the pocket. Um you know, I you you obviously have something that I'm not that I'm not uh, picking up here, Fran. No, I think I think that the the D line pushing the pocket definitely is uh, something that I noted. Um, I thought that when the Eagles got into third and long, that we saw a lot more variety in terms of the rush packages oh, and the things okay. that they did from you know schematic. Well, no, I'll tell you now. It just hit me. Okay, I actually thought some of their coverage concepts. This is what hit me. They 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 played multiple and combination coverage concepts on third down, yeah. often featuring man coverage to one side and zone coverage to the other side. I thought that I think Jonathan Gannon, as the season is progressing, is showing more and more. In fact, I could have been wrong, but I watched the play 10 times. I thought the first third and long, 
which was third and nine. I don't know if you remember the play. Outstanding, uh, outstanding example of full team defense. There were so many good things about well, that third down. They, what I thought they played was a coverage called two buster. Are you familiar with it? Uh, no, take, take us through two buster. Two buster is where you play two man to one side okay. and cover two to the other side. And I, I watched that play 10 times. And I thought that they played two man to the boundary and cover two to the field. And that's what I thought they played on the first third and long. Now, Barnett and Sweat squeezed the pocket from the outside, but I thought they played two buster on that play. I thought um, on third and two on the second possession um, where Sutton was the boundary X and Slay tailgated him and McLeod played dedicated over the top. Yep. It was zero man to the other side to the field versus the bunch set where they matched releases because McLeod was clearly playing over the top of Slay. So um, it was actually the only third down conversion in the game because uh, Bridgewater hit Patrick for seven yards on a shallow crosser. Right. Yep. But if now that I think about it, if you ask me what my takeaway was, my biggest takeaway was what Gannon did with his coverages. I thought he mixed and matched a zone and man within the same plays really well. Um, I want you to go back when we're done and take a look at that first third and long, because I'm almost sure it was too buster. It was uh, one of my favorite plays from this game without question, because um, not only did you see examples of uh, the, the match concepts taking away some of those initial reads for Bridgewater. I thought Maddox did an unbelievable job matching to the dagger concept down at the bottom of the screen that, and then the defensive line squeezes the pocket Bridgewater yeah. gets rid of the ball in the flat and slay triggers and makes that, I mean, literally like, Everything across the board was so, so good on yeah, that first I mean, down. Because Avery matched fan man-to-man yep. to the boundary. Singleton dropped as a middle-hole defender, which is kind of a cover-two deal. Yep. So, again, by the way, I just love saying two-buster anyway. But Yeah, um, just keep, you just keep rolling it out. Like, you sounds, you definitely sound it. smart when you do I it. I know, it really, yeah. But, uh, but you, you know, I've heard that term, and I actually looked it up. I've looked it up a couple of times this year mm-hmm. because more and more teams are, are doing combination coverages. Yeah. So when I saw that play, it kind of clicked in my mind, and I looked it up again just to read it again to make sure, you know. But that's – I think Gannon – I think you're starting to see as the season progresses that Gannon is doing probably the kinds of things that he wanted to do from day one, but just didn't feel comfortable doing with, with either the personnel or with the, the, the stage of learning that everybody was at. You know, I think it's that, to be honest, like, I, and that's what like you and I have talked we, you and I talked about this was uh, we looked around at, all right, who are some of the best defenses that play, uh, you know, a lot of zone coverage in the NFL right now. You talk, okay, well, you look at Buffalo and you look at, uh, you know, Indianapolis and it's like, all right, well, those defenses that we see here in 2021, did they look that way in 2018 when those coaches right. first got there? It, it takes time to be able to get to that time. point. Because one guy makes a mistake in, on defense, particularly if it's on the back end and you give up a long touchdown, right. and that doesn't work. Yeah, another uh, point I wanted to make is I, I think that uh, Williams, the rookie, is playing really, really well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, to me, he flashed again both as a run defender and inside pass rusher. I mean, he gets significant snaps in the D-line rotation. Um, I think this guy's going to be a really good player. 
Yeah, he, he's starting to really show up. And that's why I, I wanted to ask you at the jump, like, all right, what was the thing that stood out? Because there were two big takeaways for me. And the the coverage aspect absolutely was one. Um, you know, I, I mentioned to Ben how I, how I kind of saw, like, you know, they, they were a lot tighter uh, in coverage. And I thought that the, the way that they matched things across the board was was really tight, was really snug here right. in this one. So he actually went uh, over to Next Gen Stats, Greg. And Next Gen, uh, they've got a, a stat, a metric that we'll use called open percentage, which basically is like three yards of separation. Right, right, right. Uh, Again, so you look at that through weeks one through nine, the Eagles were 30th in the NFL. Week 10, they were fifth. 33% of the dropbacks featured uh, three yards of separation. That was fifth in the in the league just from this past week. So clearly something different, obviously a completely uh, different end of the spectrum. And I think that sticks to the way that, one, that they called the game, but then two, uh, the execution of the guys on the back end. I think Darius Slay is playing at such a high level uh, here this season, and it's not really necessarily talked about uh, as much. Um, but you start talking about the defensive front, and, and to me, like that was the other thing I really liked from this game was uh, seeing some of the different things the Eagles were doing. They, it helped to get into a lot of third and longs, right? But uh, getting into third and eight, third and nine, third and six, third and 11, and now you see uh, you know Singleton up on the line of scrimmage in the B-gap. You know, Jannard right. Avery up in the B-gap. You see him looping around. You see uh, zone exchanges, lots of different ways that they were able to kind of turn up the heat on Teddy Bridgewell. Yeah, and and I thought Derek Barnett had a very good game too. By the way, I thought yeah. he showed up uh, as a pass rusher quite a bit. Um, yeah, it was it was it was a good combination. I thought of tactics, scheme, and an individual performance. It was a really it was a really strong game. I never got the feel watching the game on tape that the Broncos were really doing anything. I mean, they had a couple of good runs. Which we expected they can run. Exactly. The yeah, they're well. going to get theirs. Yep. Yeah, um, and and obviously the Sutton twenty-six yarder on the first third quarter possession was you know a really well designed cross country dagger concept. Sure. But, uh, but for the most part, I thought that the Eagles' defense really controlled this game. Yeah, it's a, a really good performance on both sides of the football. And they're going to need a, a similar kind of effort this week against the New Orleans Saints, who, yes, they are they are decimated by injuries. We don't know as of this recording Monday evening, uh, don't know the status of running back Alvin Kamara. Uh, they've had injuries on both sides of the football. Teron Armstead at left tackle has been out. Uh, obviously, they lost Jameis Winston a couple of weeks ago. But when you look at uh, this team on both sides of the football, they present a certain amount of challenges. And Greg, I want to start on defense because honestly, this Saints defense is one of my favorites to watch in all of football. I said this last year when the Eagles prepared to play the New Orleans Saints, and it still holds true uh, watching them here in 2021. It's a really fun group, uh, really aggressive. When you look at that defensive front, uh, they have a lot of different bodies and a lot of guys that are built very similarly, when you look at guys that are uh, all right, they, you know, six foot three to six foot five, all two seventy five to three oh five. Cam Jordan, Marcus Davenport, Peyton Turner, Tano Passanio, uh, David Onyemata, uh, all these guys are are like bodied rushers, and they win with length, they win with power, they win with explosiveness. And then when it gets to third down, it's just a party. They do so many different things. Oh on yeah, third down. Uh, their they, third down defensive philosophy is just so much fun. Yeah, they're big dudes up front. That's the thing. They're they're yeah. big all across the front. Um, and you're right. I mean, it depends on the game this week because they play Tennessee, who lines up a lot in two and at times three tight ends. And with a fullback at times, they played more snaps of base defense than we normally see them play. Right. Yep. So you see the, the rookie Pete Werner from Ohio State. You see Ellis 
playing with Demario Davis as their three linebackers, but they don't play a ton of base. No, um, we'll see what they do against the Eagles when they line up with too tight. And obviously, as we're speaking tonight, we don't know about Dallas Goddard for this week. We hope he he'll be okay and play. If he does, we know we'll see more too too tight end uh, sets. But they're a big nickel team and they're a big dime team now. Yep. They didn't play as much dime this week. They did on all third downs. Third downs they, yep. they did selectively. Normally they play a ton of dime, but with Gardner Johnson on IR, I think that was one reason they didn't play as much dime, mm. but they still do play dime. And you're right about third down. Third down, there are three, two, six, meaning they have three down linemen. It's normally a zero technique and two wide nines. And they have Davis, the linebacker who, Demario Davis, and I've been watching him for years. I think he's one of the four or five best three-down linebackers in the league. I think he's in the discussion with the Fred Warners, the Bobby Wagners, the Darius Leonard's. I know I'm leaving one or so out, but I think he's in the conversation with those guys. And just used a little bit differently because of this rush package and how they Correct. use it. He's so impactful. But he can but he can do what those guys can do too. Right. I mean, yep. he, he can play um, – he can cover tight ends if you want him to. I've seen him do that over these last number of years where he runs down the field at the intermediate and even deeper level. So he can do whatever he's asked to do. And obviously, Quan Alexander is the other linebacker in the 3-2-6, and he's, he's an athlete. You know, he came out of LSU. Everybody said he's too light, but obviously he's, he's carved out a nice career. Um, so he plays in their nickel and dime. Uh, and there they show multiple front looks. They can show a three-man front, a four-man front, a five-man front, a six-man front, a seven-man front. They can they show all that. They blitz from the slot. When they do play dime, Roby and P. Williams now, P.J. Williams are in the slot. And Roby is an excellent blitzer from the, from the slot. He's, he's done that this year. He can beat running backs on occasion. He had a sack against Carolina earlier this season where he beat, I think it was Royce Freeman. You know, he just blew him up. So they have all kinds of pressure schemes. Dennis Allen's really good at this, and they, they're really good, too, at matching routes in, when they pressure. And when I say matching routes, they're not playing man, but they match routes. You know, guys can run from first being a first-level defender. They run to the second or third level and match routes. They're really good at that. Yeah, and I think that when you look at the way that this group plays overall, um, you know, look, on early downs, it's going to be a lot of quarters, a lot of cover four. We saw that against yep. the Tennessee Titans, which you would expect. Uh, they will change things up and play a lot of man, uh, you know, especially when you get to third down. Last year, they played a lot of two man. I don't think we're seeing as much of that uh, here this year, but they play man coverage more than just about as much as anybody in the NFL when you look at uh, just they the overall. They did play a lot of two man until recently. I think I think with with – Gardner Johnson being out because now PJ Williams has to be in the slot. He was their back end defender with Marcus Williams when they played two man. So they're probably not as comfortable with whoever else would have to be on the back end. Maybe it's, maybe it's um, uh, Jenkins, you know, they, they're probably right. just not as comfortable. So because they were playing a good amount of two man until a couple of weeks ago. One of the things that does stand out to me now, we talk, we talk about what they do from a, from a pressure standpoint and from a coverage standpoint, I mean, Greg, coming into this weekend, I got to look at the numbers to update, but coming into this weekend, they were the number one rush defense by a lot of metrics. When you look at rush yards before contact, they were number one. Rush yards after contact, they were number one. And they were doing it 
despite being 29th in the NFL in runs against heavy boxes. So they were so stout and so good against the run, despite consistently playing in these light boxes. Um, and and I, to me, that, that just speaks to, we talked about the, the the size that they have up front, those defensive ends, the way that they're able to set edges. Uh, Demario Davis, his ability to just destroy blocks downhill. Uh, those guys are just yeah. doing an outstanding job across the board against the run. No, no. To me, that, that sets up a huge matchup here in this game. You know, I don't, you know, a couple of years ago, I went to a preseason season game at the Jets and and they didn't have every player they have now but they still had a lot of them right those guys are big you know when you see them in person which I did because I was on the field right they're big guys I mean it's you know we tend to think of all these guys O-linemen D-linemen is big but you know they're big and obviously that's that's a template because they drafted Peyton Turner who I believe still on IR is he not yeah, he uh, he went on. I believe he's on IR at this point. Yeah, but but that's the thing. Like I'm, lo- I'm just looking at like height, weight stuff. I mean, we know Cam Jordan is uh, is a bigger guy. Uh, only about a six four, three hundred. Davenport, uh, he's six five. He was like two eighty coming out. Passing, you know, six six seven, two eighty nine. Peyton Turner, six six, two seventy. Uh, these guys are just all really big, really long. Jalen Holmes, six five, two eighty three. Like just across the board, it's just a really stout, long, disruptive yep. group. Yeah. So, I mean, they obviously have a certain, you know, draft profile when they yes. go for defensive linemen and, you know, and Peyton Turner fit that. Um, uh, but uh, no, they're, they're a very difficult team. You mentioned uh, there's more metrics than just yards allowed per game, but they only allow 73 yards rushing per game. All so right. this will be a real challenge. You know, the, the key here and, and, and then we can move on and talk about their offense. Yep. But the key here is how they're going to defend the Hertz factor yes. in the run game, right? Because they can line up and play the run. But the Eagles run is different because of the quarterback. So that's going to be the key factor in this game. And yeah. I actually went back and looked at my notes last year. And that was the game that everybody just assumed that, you know, I think it was Hurts' first start. It's his first start, yep. And everybody just assumed the Saints would come in here and beat him, you know, by two touchdowns. And obviously it didn't work out that way. The Eagles won the game. Um, but I thought they struggled a bit at times last year. And we'll see how Dennis Allen decides with that now, knowing that, how and and seeing the tape from this year and what the Eagles are doing, how he goes about structuring it, because this is this is even though there's inside zone and and there's some gap scheme and there's you know other run game elements, um, they they're presented differently because of the Hertz factor. Yep. Uh, so between the the run game and then also the amount of man coverage that they play, I think that that right. that, that makes for a really interesting schematic matchup here uh, in this game on Sunday. Let's go over to the other side of the football. Um, on offense, look, uh, as we mentioned, they're, they're missing some key pieces, but uh, you have a, a quality backup quarterback there in Trevor Simeon oh, yeah. who's come in, and, and he is kind of the caretaker of uh, this Sean Payton offense right now. Uh, the group of pass catchers is relatively nondescript. When you remove Alvin Kamara from the equation like uh, they had to this past week, uh, you, now you're just trying, you're trying to mix and match and find ways to be able to beat the opponent, and they nearly beat the first-place Titans this past week. Yeah, I mean, look, you got to start with the quarterback because Trevor Simeon, you can line up and play with Trevor Simeon. You know, everybody knows what he is, but I mean, he's a ball distributor. He's an executor. We know that's what Trevor Simeon is. So if you protect him and and Sean Payton usually does a very good job with route concepts, personnel, formations, um, they they play a lot with 6-0 linemen. They didn't play it as much this week as they had prior. Yep. I think they led the league, and they may still yeah. in the yep. highest percentage of 6-0 line personnel. 16 per, 16% of plays. That's, I I mean, know. That's a good that's chunk. A that's a lot of plays. You know, as you and I speak on Monday night, 
We certainly don't know Alvin Kamara's status for this week. Obviously, that changes the dynamic both in the run game and the pass game. Um, but uh, you're right. And when you look at their receiving core, you know, they, they've got Traquan Smith. They've got Marquez Callaway, who I actually did coming out of Tennessee. Did you do him? Callaway, yep. Yeah, I, I thought he was intriguing. In some ways, I, I think I thought what he is now, that's what he could be. You know, yeah. he's obviously not a number one, but I mean, I think he can play in the NFL and he might be the kind of guy that plays in the NFL for 10 to 12 years. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, and they, they, they'll play multiple tight ends at times. Taysom Hill gets about 15 snaps a game, 12 or 13 of them as a receiver. Um, they haven't really used him that much as a quarterback. So if, unless that changes, you know, he's really a receiver. And when he's in there at quarterback, I mean, it's almost always like that, that pure, the pure wildcat QB power league. Yeah. Like that's exactly what that is. Yeah, they run quarterback power. Yep. Uh, so I, I think when you're looking at that from Taysom Hill standpoint in the backfield, uh, that's what you're going to get with Kamara out. Um, obviously, look, it's it's Mark Ingram with uh, a lot of the run game stuff and uh, Ty Montgomery out of the backfield on a lot of the Texas yep. routes, the screen routes. You got you're the screen plays. You got to worry about those. Um, they brought up Kevin White for this game. He was used on a couple of vertical plays down the field. They weren't able to connect, but that, you know, those are on film. The Eagles have to prepare uh, for yeah. some of those looks. They have Deontay Harris, who's been a little bit of a field stretcher. They also got Traquan Smith back, who's been injured for a large majority of the year. I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts, yeah. not necessarily on what you've seen from Smith in these two weeks that he's been healthy, but just him overall and what he can bring, because he's been a, a contributor for them over the last couple of years, you know, when they've been at their best. Yeah. And I think in some ways, Maybe not quite as well. He kind of fills the Devery Henderson role back in the okay. day when Drew Brees was there. Sure. You know, the kind of guy that can make some vertical plays. Um, he's got some speed. He's got some length. He's not really a volume target guy. Um, obviously, now, you know, every who knows who's a volume target guy, who they yeah, put out right. there. Yep. But, you know, Smith can run away from people. He can run away from man coverage, as we've seen. Um so, yeah, so he's he's a factor. You know, obviously, Troutman is is a tight end that they use. The kid who really intrigues me, he was back this week, he's been injured, is the, the Penn State slash Oregon kid, Johnson, who yep. was a wide receiver in college and I think could develop into a pretty good tight end. You know, it's not going to happen in, in one week's time, but I think he's got – tight end traits to develop into a pretty good tight end yeah six foot four just from just north of 230 pounds actually a local kid greg from uh from glassboro new jersey um but yeah he's a, a kid that they've used as a number three receiver uh you know he ran a, a couple of stick routes this past week so yep. inside so uh just a guy to be aware of in the middle of the field uh let's get to this offensive line who look when they are healthy Best group in football, one of the top three groups in football. You would put them there. Toronto Armstead, that left tackle, has not been healthy for a chunk of this year. Was out again this past week. James Hurst uh, in there in his stead. Uh, no Andrews Pete. He is on injured reserve. He's the starting left guard. So you've got second-year man Calvin Throckmorton in there at left guard. Eric McCoy at center has developed into one of the better young centers in the league. Cesar Ruiz, the uh, the second-year right guard. And then Ryan Ramchek uh, in at right tackle, one of the better right tackles in football. Yeah, and I, they're they, uh, they're playing uh, the kid who played uh, I think every position in college, uh, Throckmorton and left Throckmorton guard. Throckmorton guard, so, yep, yep. Yeah, so he, um, yeah, I mean, so the left side are backups right now, and you know, obviously they've made it a point over the years to have a really good old line, but it's 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 still solid, but it's not it's not they don't have their their top players out there. Yep. Well, uh, there'll be uh, something to watch here uh, moving into this matchup. Well, Greg, uh, we'll be back next week to break this all down with you right here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Thanks for joining us. We will talk to you next week. All right, Fran, thanks. 
Hey, Eagles fans, get ready for the game each Sunday with an exclusive look at Eagles pregame warmups brought to you live each week. When you join myself, Amy Campbell, and Eagles insider Dave Spadaro on the kickoff show presented by Exalta, we provide Eagles-focused analysis, late-breaking news, and the team perspective that you cannot get anywhere else. The kickoff show presented by Exalta can be seen live 50 minutes before kickoff on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. Great stuff from Greg, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. And you know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That is one way to support the show. But the best way is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, or even leave us a comment. I want to give a shout-out today to someone who did exactly that. M. Landers went to our Apple podcast page and left a five-star review with a question saying, uh, it's a great listen even after tough losses. Landers, appreciate that. And he said, question, based on what we've seen so far this season, predict who the starting five on the Eagles' offensive line will be in week one of the 2022 season. Are all five guys currently on the roster? So uh, Landers is a good question. And look, uh, that's, a, that's a long ways away, and that's not a cop-out on my part. It's just that there is so much uh, left to be played out here in the 2021 season. And obviously you have all of next offseason as well. Here's what I will say. I think when you look, obviously the Eagles place a huge priority on the offensive line and the defensive line, right? That's where they've spent uh, so many assets where you're talking about free agent dollars or you're talking about uh, the NFL draft. They are always looking to upgrade and add talent along the offensive line and across both lines of scrimmage. So uh, you never want to rule anything out for any offseason. That said, because of that, they have added a lot of young pieces over these last few years, right? I mean, whether you're talking about uh, at the offensive tackle position with a first-round pick and Andre Dillard and obviously finding Jordan Mailata, giving him that extension this summer. The Eagles have two young tackles. You already have one of the best tackles in place on the opposite side as well with Lane Johnson. The other thing, when you start getting into the interior, and I think that this is super important, they all obviously place a huge priority on versatility on the inside. And what does that mean? Well, obviously in-game, it means that if a guy goes down, you have the ability to shuffle pieces around. Uh, for backups, it means that they have a better ability to stick because they can wear a number of different hats, right? So there's the micro and then there's the macro. The other thing, when you're looking at it, when you take a big step back and you look at it just from how the, from how the roster is built, looking into the future... Well, you can envision a lot of different guys doing a lot of different things. Isaac Saimala, is he a guard? Is he a center? Landon Dickerson, is he a guard? Is he a center? So moving forward, and Jason Kelsey, you're hoping that he's in Philadelphia for as long as possible. Uh, you, you obviously have him at center, but if and when at some point he does retire, because that day will come at some point down the road, you've got a couple of young guys already in the building. You throw in Nate Herbig in there as well. Another guy has played both guard and center. And you and Jack Driscoll has played both guard and tackle. All of these pieces that can w- do a lot of different things, well, that allows you to be really flexible when you're planning your future roster. But that said... We know that the Eagles always are going to try and add along the offensive line when the opportunity is there. So you never rule out uh, the addition in the offseason, whether that's through the free agent market, whether that's through the waiver wire or via trade or via the NFL draft. All of those things are on the table. 
but looking at who they've got in the building, they clearly feel confident with who they have. And so I don't know what that combination is going to be, uh, you know, nine months from now, 10 months from now. But I think that when you look at it, yeah, there's plenty of talent here already in the building. Uh, I didn't even mention Brandon Brooks, who's going to be due to come back from injury shortly. I mean, Brandon Brooks, one of the best in the league uh, when he's out there. So I'm really excited to see Brandon when he gets back into Eagles green. There's just there's so many bodies, so much talent on that group. And that's why we were so excited about it back in the summer. And when we see them humming, uh, I, I'm going to be honest. With how the Eagles offense is playing right now, I can't wait to see Brandon Brooks out there next to Lane Johnson, next to Jason Kelsey, uh, because this is when he is at his best, just mashing people uh, up in front of him. Really, really excited to see number 79 back out there. So uh, good question there from Landers. Thank you, and thank you as well to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you later this week. When the clock hits all zeros, the game might be over, but the action is not. Join us for the post-game show presented by Rico for instant reaction. Watch live as Coach Nick Sirianni and Eagles players come to the podium and meet with the media. We will make sure you do not miss a word. Myself, Ike Reese, and Gabriella DiGiovanni will also break down the game live at the desk and hear from Eagles insider Dave Spadaro to get his thoughts. The post-game show presented by Rico can be seen on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels.